It's so good to see everyone here today, not only the membership at Pippin, but certainly the visitors who've come our way. It's so, such a delight to appreciate the first day of the week, the blessing and the privilege and then, yea, the honor that comes our way by the opportunity that's ours to associate, but even more critically, to worship the great, the awesome God of heaven. And as much as those thoughts rest on our mind and we appreciate the handiwork of God about us, we do come, of course, to, as always, the seriousness in worship, for we appreciate that worship is not a game, and worship is not something just to consume a little bit of time every week. Worship is a critical activity, for it is what is a significant issue in keeping you and me close to the God of heaven, the one that we adore and love. It is with that in mind I would ask you to consider this morning a very important subject, the subject of elders. I do perhaps find myself beneath a burden to share something with you. I began preparing thoughts relative to a series like this one months ago. And last Sunday I was informed that we were going to put to the name of Gary Medley before us. And I assured him just as I assured the two elders, it's not that I'm preparing this lesson or delivering it directed to Gary. It's directed to all of us. Elders are that important and that critical as they are described in the New Testament. I do think it's interesting the timing of all of this, I admit, but nonetheless, I did not de design it to be de set forth on the day that we put the name of Gary Medley before us. I would say, as we think about the attribute of elders, I would in fact invite you to consider a two-part series. There's more than what it seemed like I could reasonably present in one sermon. Next Sunday morning, we're going to continue to discuss elders. And following that, we're going to discuss deacons. And then we're going to discuss the preacher. As we discuss all of those things, we find a vitality and an interest in the presentation of what God has long ago asserted. And you and I today still stand four square on the truth of all those things. As we start to discuss elders today, a few initial comments, very introductory in nature, I think would be in order. It is in the infinite wisdom of God that as He made plans for that which you and I call the church, elders were a part of His plan. They are not of human ingenuity. It is not humans at any point who decided the eldership would be good. It was God's plan that this would be. No wonder then as we turn the pages of God's divine book, we're reminded again and again about the integrity about the place, about the work, yea, even the qualifications of those gentlemen serving in the eldership. We'll discuss all of those things again in this little series touching the subject of elders. You'll notice at the bottom of that particular slide today, our focus will primarily be on the office and the work. The qualifications are those which we'll take up next Lord's Day morning. And as much as we think about then the eldership as it's presented, I would ask that we all take careful consideration, not only with respect to Gary's name, of course, but as Roger mentioned earlier, even other names in succeeding weeks may be put before us. We need to make sure we understand and recognize that these gentlemen are those who are given by God the authority and delegation with respect to dictating and determining much about this church for perhaps years to come. No wonder our selection is very careful. It must be done with a great deal of wisdom and insight. As we turn to the next slide, why don't we then first of all consider some aspects of terminology. 
the names that the Word of God uses to describe an elder. There is much confusion in our present world about this very issue, isn't there? For in fact, you'll find that there are a number of words, a number of descriptive attributes used to describe the characteristic of an elder. In fact, the gentleman who occupies that office, one by one, as you and I look at them, many of them are names which are less familiar than others. What about, first of all, the word elder? We know that many, many times, both Old and New Testament, that word is used with respect to just an older person, an older man. But isn't it interesting that the word came to recognize and be used in a way to refer to a seasoned and wise person who is the presiding man or a leader in terms of a local congregation. I simply identified it as an older man who serves in that position of leadership. Of note, might be Numbers 11, verse 16. One Old Testament example of which dozens and dozens might have been listed. But what about that one New Testament case that so readily comes to mind? Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And there Paul uses that word, the Holy Spirit, through him. Elders in reference to the very gentlemen who officiate or at least lead a local congregation. There they're called elders. And you and I today, of course, most often, I suppose, still use that term to refer to them. But that isn't the only one. What about this next word, the word bishop? Again, the religious world has entered into a great deal of confusion relative to some of these terms. The Greek word that's translated bishop is episkopos. You'll notice in light of that, the definition is simply this a person occupying a position of visitation from God. That's very interesting, isn't it? All that that means is that the person who occupies this role of a bishop is doing so by the delegated authority of God. God has allowed him to occupy that position, and he in wisdom would allow God to determine the things that he does and the way that he does it. No wonder presiding officer or overseer are used in relationship to that word episkopos. Might I ask you to notice 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 in which we find that word used. Paul expressly said, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. And so a bishop is just another word for an elder. What about number three? The word presbyter. You can give thought to this word. Now, again, it's a different Greek word. The word literally in Greek is presbyter, but it literally means those that preside over the assembly. Many, many times in the New Testament, that word is employed as it relates to the elder. I would ask you to observe those that preside over the assembly. When you and I come together to worship, we appreciate that it must always be done decently and in order, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. And as it is carried out, those who direct or lead are, of course, our elders. They set the tone, and as they make decisions relative to what's done in these assemblies, always beneath the authority of God. They don't act on their own. They don't make their decisions apart from God's Word. Three words so far, elder, bishop, presbyter, all have reference to the same thing. You'll notice again that the human family has often used that third one very differently. 
But as you and I consider God's wisdom again, the presbyters are the bishops and they are the elders. Word number four. The word pastor. Maybe there is no greater error in terms of any of these than that one. The common usage of that term today refers the pastor to the preacher. But the Bible does not make that association. In fact, far be it from making that association. Notice the pastor is from the Greek word meaning shepherd. That word occurs frequently, at least in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. As God referred to the leaders of the people of Israel, He called them pastors. Jeremiah 23 verses 1 and 2 specifically brought down the judgment of God on the pastors of Israel because they had failed to lead in the way that they should have. They had led with selfishness. They had led with an air of having little concern about the flock. They looked out for themselves and God said He wouldn't tolerate it. As we turn to the New Testament, we find Ephesians 4 verse 11 identifying the pastors. One more time, you and I notice a bishop is an elder, is a presbyter, is a pastor. All of them have reference to that office, most commonly by you and me called the eldership. Isn't it interesting that as we give thought to these various terms, they help us appreciate so far some rich meanings behind all of them, and we will develop those a bit more thoroughly as the lesson proceeds. Word number five, overseer. You'll notice this word has a great deal of similarity in Greek to one above, namely the word bishop. I would ask you to consider that somewhat interestingly. This word overseer, I would ask you to reflect with me a moment on Acts 20 verse 28. Paul addressed the elders of the church in Ephesus and to them he said, Take heed to yourselves and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. In that passage, these elders were called overseers. And that led me to include that term, the literal Greek term meaning a superintendent or literally an overseer. So far, all of these terms are helping us see various portions and parts of the work of an elder. That word, overseer. Or that word above that you and I have noticed as bishop. Don't they really remind us in some ways of the work of a shepherd? After all, that's what the word pastor meant. Elders are very much like shepherds. In the same way that a literal shepherd watches over a flock of sheep, attempting to make sure they're safe and attempting to make sure they're provided with all things most needful and necessary, these gentlemen, that do a similar thing for the church. They ensure that they have spiritually what they need, that they are provided for by the presentation of what God has made available. These gentlemen who lead in that way, the shepherds, these are the elders. As you close that slide with me and appreciate these six terms, notice all of them are referring to the same. It's not that there are six different positions in the church. Elders are called by all these descriptions because of all that they do. As we continue that consideration, what are some specifics then that you and I might conclude about the work of an elder and about the nature of the eldership? As you'll notice at the top of that slide, it becomes a critical question to observe. How does the New Testament then 
utilize these terms and how does it present them in a way so that our understanding about what God's will is for eldership is complete. Well, may I say it certainly should begin here. Brother Matt read a moment ago from the first few verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. I'd like to ask you to notice a few thoughts as I make an emphasis as we read those. Beginning in verse 1 of 1 Peter 5. The elders which are among you. Peter immediately made observation about the existence of elders, but he qualified it by saying that they were among those brethren. He goes on to say, I exhort who also am an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Two times in that pair of verses, Peter highlighted the elders were among them and they had oversight of those that were among them. We have then the conclusion at the top of that slide. God has given no authority for an elder to exert authority over any other congregation besides his own. That group of people were the ones who in part invested him with that authority and it is among them that he has that authority. And so an elder of the church at Pippin can't make decisions for the church at Sycamore or Holiday or anywhere else, at least not by virtue of God's will. They are to exert authority in that place among them. That's a tremendous truth, isn't it? And as you and I respect that, we notice what a great safeguard for the truth that God has revealed. For after all, if a given gentleman slid into apostasy or into error and he influenced a bunch of congregations, he could lead all of them into error. But an eldership for only that local consideration, that would be much more difficult, wouldn't it? Maybe the second observation is this one. We notice that these elders, as they are identified within the pages of the New Testament, you appreciate so well that we have a plurality of them identified. Nowhere in all the New Testament do we find a congregation having just one elder. There were always at least two. In fact, I would ask you to notice the reference to elders is always plural, and you and I could think of many examples, and I've listed the most notable ones probably. I would call to your attention Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and following. When Paul called the elders from the church in Ephesus, that word is plural in Greek. There wasn't just one of them. There was more than one. To the church in Philippi, when Paul addressed that congregation, he addressed the bishops and the deacons. Bishops is plural in Greek. They had more than one elder. To that, you and I can notice the scene in Acts 14, 23. Paul, on that first missionary journey, made the decision by again the will of God to appoint elders in every church. Plural again. A church could not have just one. Finally, it is to that I would ask you to recall the scene of Titus. When Paul gave direction to him in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he was to ordain elders in every city. Apparently there on that little island of Crete, a given city had just one congregation. As you and I appreciate God's wisdom again, a plurality of elders in every location, in every congregation. That wisdom maybe leads us to all of those particular considerations that you and I just made. 
it is the plan and will of God that a congregation have elders. Isn't that amazing? Some congregations with which you and I might be familiar have an aversion to elders. They would prefer not to have them, but God said that we should have them. I believe many of us are aware of what can happen when there's a committee or perhaps a community activity and there's no recognized leadership. Often it devolves into chaos. Often it's greatly inefficient. Often it veers from the challenge, charging commission given to it. God in His wisdom saw that that thing that was best was for a congregation to have elders, men who could provide the wisdom and leadership, men now we might quickly add who meet qualifications that God has laid forth. Surely in light of all those things, look at what's at the bottom of that slide. What do you and I seemingly observe about these passages that have reference to elders? It refers to men who take that position of shepherd seriously. Men who do consider very carefully the thought of leading a congregation as God would have them to be led. These men in seriousness and in consideration strive to uphold always that which is the will of God relative to that church. Notice the honor then that comes from serving as an elder. Let the honors, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. 1 Timothy 5.17 An elder that rules well, counted worthy of double honor. It should be an honorable thing for any gentleman to be able to serve as an elder. It doesn't come, of course, without responsibility, and it doesn't come without a great deal of thought and consideration, but what an honor. What higher position could there be? I would ask you to notice at the bottom, part of what I thought would be so interesting about the timing of this lesson today would come, of course, from this observation. It's one thing, of course, to make a selection for a man to serve as an elder. But you and I realize that God expects us to obey our elders. I would call to your attention Hebrews 13, 17. When the apostle on that occasion writing stated it like this, Obey them that have the rule over you. And that word obey is a very critically chosen word, isn't it? God expects you and me to submit to those elders, to follow their example, to follow their lead. When we think about all of that, we close the slide by making this interesting observation. So far, we have learned a great deal about the terms used to describe an elder, and we've even been highlighted of some of the specifics about God's will for eldership. But a moment ago, as we noted Acts 20, 28, wasn't it fascinating to notice the language? Take heed to yourselves and to the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Who was it then that elevated those elders in Ephesus to their position of the eldership? Paul said the Holy Spirit's the one that ultimately ordained them. Now the people may have selected them, but the Holy Spirit delegated the authority by which they served. And my friend, nothing about that's any different today. You and I may select those men, and you and I, of course, choose then to submit to their leadership, but the Holy Spirit's the one that ordains them in the position as elder. And they, by virtue of the Holy Spirit and the word that He's given, will hopefully lead in a wise and very prudent way. The eldership 
brings us then to notice some additional things as we go to this next slide. You may notice, what about the work of the, of the elders? What does God expect an elder to do? What does God expect an elder not to do? I have pulled together several considerations, and the first, it seems, is an observation like this one. Many times we're, we take very seriously the consideration of an office in the church. May we say this is one of those instances when that word is used with great directiveness. If any man desire the office of a bishop, 1 Timothy 3.1, he desireth the good work. There is a position in the church known as the elder. We today, our elders have placed the name of Gary Medley as one who will occupy that position too in, in, in a period of time with, if no objections or other matters like that are raised. We might now inquire as to the nature of the work and as much as it's described in the New Testament. I would submit to you the initial conclusion seems overwhelming, doesn't it? From those verses you and I have already noted, the work of the eldership centers on the spiritual welfare of the congregation. It's a fine thing to think about the physical attributes, the church building and the carpet and the pews and the parking lot. All of that does have its importance without a doubt. And surely the elders have say in terms of the disposition and the way those things are approached. But their first work by far is the spiritual well-being of those who serve beneath them, who work beneath them, who are in the church wherein they serve. Look at the way that that's explained. Acts 6 verses 1 and following. I realize the word elder does not appear in this particular passage, but the overtones seem so very striking. You remember the scene with me. There were some Grecian widows who were being neglected in the daily ministration. That murmuring came before the congregation at large in the status of disciples there in Jerusalem. What was the resolution to that issue? The apostles had these words of advice. Seek you out among you seven men, full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit, that we may appoint over this business, and we will give ourselves continually to the word of God in prayer. The apostles recognized that's an important work, and it does need to be tended to, but our work in relation to the word of God is more important in the sense that there are others that can take care of that. The elders said, we're going to give ourselves continually, or rather those apostles, continually to the Word of God in prayer. Notice the emphasis, the spiritual well-being in terms of relation to the Word of God, the spiritual well-being and benefit of those individuals, that was their prime focus. You might notice another example in Acts 20, 28, a text we've noticed twice already today. To those elders, take heed to yourselves and to the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And you'll notice the verb included in it, to feed the church of God. The elders have a responsibility to ensure that the spiritual diet that you and I take in here at this place is spiritually correct in light of the word of God. We need a heaping helping of it every time we come together. We need to ensure that it's the truth that's preached and nothing else. We need to ensure that this is the bedrock and it's the foundation on which everything is pursued. 
feed the church of God. Did you notice the language? Again, as Matt read it earlier from 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse number 2 begins with these words, Feed the flock of God. Elders have that as a prime responsibility. Go to the third one with me. Hebrews 13, 7 describes that same thing this way. The elders are specifically told to provide the Word of God. We understand by that God, His infinite wisdom, has given us the Word. But the elders ensure that what is set forth in the pulpit or what's taught in the classes or in general that which is the basic thought and that's set forth, that it's in harmony with God's Word. If the elders were to discover that a man had climbed in this pulpit and was in the process of teaching that which was not true, they'd have every right to stop the sermon right on the spot and ensure that that kind of falsehood didn't promulgate and permeate. They would have the authority to do it. Not only providing the Word of God, Peter identified it with these words. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. They are to take the oversight. They are with confidence to exert an influence of leadership in that congregation. Taking the oversight thereof, I would ask you to notice that of course includes some very interesting and basic matters. Take heed to yourselves. Our elders, you see, should be examples for you and me. Look again in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 3 through 5 describe the elders as the examples for you and for me. If that be true, that means they have to watch their lives. Take heed to yourselves, Paul told those Ephesian elders. They watch what they say and where they go and what they do, always with a desire to set forth before themselves and others the truth of God as it relates to morality and ethical behavior and, yea, in all attributes of life. The responsibility set before them brings us to this. The perspective resting on the mind of the elder surely must be that one we find in Hebrews 13. I'd like you to, to, to notice it as I read it before us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The writer of Hebrews has in view that day of judgment in many ways, doesn't he? These elders, and in any given congregation, they're going to stand before the august presence of the God of heaven on some occasion, on that day of judgment. And it says there is a sense in which they'll give account for those souls that were in their congregation. Can you imagine the joy on that occasion for an elder to say, God, here's all the ones of which I had charged. Every one of them are here. And may we say, of course, it'll be a note of sadness on that occasion when, of course, there's observation that some are not there, meaning they haven't lived faithfully. They haven't lived as they were told to, and perhaps despite an elder's attempts, they, by rebellion and renegade mentality, have not submitted now, that's not the elder's fault. If he's done all that God has in mind and what God has set forth for him, we understand. But he is going to be giving account. 
for the souls of those in his charge. That's serious business, isn't it? That's serious business. Surely in light of all those things, you and I close that slide by noting one very brief set of final thoughts in the lesson today. There's a very strong admonition then in the words of Scripture in relation to the high office of the elder. It really is a high office, isn't it? I think it's interesting that there's an article in the bulletin today that really I thought I included and there was no discussion on my part with others about it, but it's also here in the sermon. Yet another element of serendipity, it seems to me, that has taken place with regard to this lesson today. The 20th President of the United States. I must confess to you that in the annals of history books, President Garfield is not lifted up as highly as many others. We study Abraham Lincoln and we study Theodore Roosevelt and we study many others. Probably, probably, President Garfield is not one that quickly comes to mind. And yet, I found it somewhat fascinating to reflect upon the life of that gentleman. He was elected president in the fall of 1880. Prior to that time, though, for several decades, he had been a preacher of the gospel. He'd been an elder of the church. He had been a person, a gentleman who had baptized many, conducted many weddings. He'd been one who had been rather influential in terms of the truth of God and preaching it and setting it forth and encouraging others to follow it. Of course, he also had a degree of success in politics. And when he was elected president of the United States in the fall of 1880, the time, of course, came when he recognized he couldn't possibly fulfill the duties of both the president and an elder. He chose to step down from the eldership. And he said it with these words. I resigned the highest office in the land to become president of the United States. I wish to God we had presidents today that felt like that. I wish we had legislators and senators and representatives and others that felt that way. But here was a man that seemingly realized the high office of an elder. And he recognized that even the office of the president didn't compare to it. Surely in light of all those things, we notice these final thoughts for the lesson today about the eldership. That high office is one that is so sweetly described, and I would close the lesson by asking you to notice a text in Titus chapter 1. We will look at some of the aspects of this particular verse next Sunday as well. But in verse number 9 of Titus chapter 1, these words were written. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. An elder, though we've learned he does have oversight and though he is a pastor, meaning he has an element in leadership, he still fully submits to this book. He holds it fast. That phrase in Greek means to grasp onto and to hold tightly to. An elder knows that he doesn't lead by presumptuousness. He doesn't lead by anything that's separate and apart from the integrity and truth of the Word of God. He is fully bound by that which is the sacred text. And so he holds it fast. And you'll notice he strives to set forth what is sound doctrine. There is a doctrine that's sound, isn't it? And it's this one. 
He doesn't lead by hearsay. He doesn't lead by various and sundry speculations and opinions of men. His prime focus is leading in a way for the spiritual well-being and benefit of those that are in His flock. Surely, in light of all those things, that text closes, that slide closes with Paul's final remarks to those elders of the church in Ephesus. Acts 20, verse 32. You can picture the scene. Paul was informing those elders. He invited them to come and meet with him. He was in a hurry to get to the destination in Jerusalem. And he invited those elders to come and meet with him. They met in the city of Miletus. On the occasion of that meeting, Paul reminded them of the greatness of his time with them and the charge and the truth that they enjoyed and shared. But the last words he ever told them, for Paul admitted to them, you'll never see my face again. The last words he told them were these. Acts 20 verse number 32. To give heed unto the word of God, for it will build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. The last and best advice that Paul could give them, never depart from the Word. Today, of course, we expect our elders, and yay, we're so thankful for men that will lead that way. We at Pippin have been blessed, and now we're on the verge of perhaps appointing one and even more elders as we think about the charge and the work of them. We will next Lord's Day morning turn our attention to the qualifications. For after all, given the highness of this job, maybe all of us, all the men that is, would like to be an elder, but God has said there are certain qualifications that must be met. Who and who alone is qualified to serve as an elder? We'll turn our attention to that question next Lord's Day morning. For right now, as we close this lesson, in summary, these are the things we've said. We've highlighted the importance in God's plan for elders. We've highlighted the features and characteristics of the leadership that they set forth using the terms. And finally, we have drawn some conclusions about the considerations of their work, the spiritual influence of it, and the submission that you and I have to them. One of the things that's fair to say as we close this lesson is this. One of the things that we'll see next Lord's Day in terms of the qualifications is that the overwhelming majority of those qualifications is expected of all of us. In the sense that God expects our character to be like that. I would submit to you, what about yourself and what about me today? Are you a good example to those about you in terms of Christianity? Can others look upon your life and say, that is an individual who's heaven-bound, Bible-centered, and Jesus Christ-focused if so, may you and I continue that walk through life, living faithfully till death. But if you have never begun that walk, then today would be the perfect day to start it. Or if you have begun it and walked away from it, today would be the ideal way to come back to it. Today, as we offer this invitation, as you analyze the scene of your heart, and I do the same for me, 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Are you and I in the faith? If you're not today, the plan of salvation reads like this. Believe Jesus with all of your heart to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the Son of God and be baptized. We'd be happy to help you today and excited to do it. If you need to return to your first love, you need to confess error, 
repent of it, of course, to God. And upon prayer, He will forgive it. And we'd be happy to pray for you. Today, if we could help anybody in this audience, we would ask that you'd let us know at once while together we stand and while we sing.